0: We have reached a grim milestone in the COVID-19 pandemic. Over 400,000 Americans have died from complications of the coronavirus. Black Americans are 3.7 times as likely as white Americans to be hospitalized with COVID-19 and 2.8 times as likely to die. Blacks and people of color are not inherently more susceptible to COVID-19 illness and mortality However, existing structural racism contribute to the health disparities. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, social determinants of health place many people of color at heightened risk for poor COVID-19 outcomes, including disparities in health care coverage and access, disproportionate representation in essential jobs, that often carry greater virus exposure risk, crowded housing conditions, and disparities in income, education, and wealth. Welcome to Hearts on the Line, a podcast all about your heart and your health. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Uthili, a national and internationally known cardiologist.
1: And I'm Monica Pearson, a former journalist and broadcast hall of fame inductee. My daughter was diagnosed with heart disease at 35. And that's how I met Dr. Elizabeth O'Feely.
0: We are joined today by two renowned and expert physician scientists to explain the latest guidelines that should inform the steps that each of us can take
1: We are so pleased today to welcome Dr. Helene Gale, a public health and policy leader and infectious disease expert with decades of experience, including at the CDC and other national and international organizations, including CARE. Also joining us is Dr. Keith Ferdinand. He's a cardiologist who has been at the front lines of cardiovascular care in New Orleans through the Louisiana COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force and the Louisiana Vaccine Action collaborative thank you both for being here a reminder to all of you listening hearts on the line podcast is for informational purposes only consult your local medical authority and health care provider for health advice dr Gale, you have been at the forefront of public health for a long time, and you know a lot about policy to ensure equitable vaccine distribution for the COVID-19 pandemic. But before discussing that, explain what's the difference between an
2: epidemic and a pandemic? I think in general, we use the term pan meaning worldwide, whereas epic is in a location. So it's an epidemic here in the United States, but because it's in Western Europe and Asia, although less numbers, but also in Africa, we would then consider it worldwide or a pandemic. So it's somewhat a semantic difference, but for the people who are being hit hardest, it doesn't really make that much of a difference.
1: Well, Dr. Ferdinand, over and over again, we've heard what we need to do to prevent getting COVID, but we still see a disproportionate number of minorities getting and dying from this disease. Why is this happening?
2: The reason for the disproportionate rates in minorities is unclear. I clearly don't think it's genetic. Probably the social determinants of health, where people live, work and play have a big impact. For instance, if you look at persons who are so-called essential workers, transit operators, cashiers, the service industry, delivery person, sanitation, they are exposed to the public. They can't work from home. And you have a disproportionate higher number of minorities, including blacks who work in these particular populations. If you can remember, early testing was done at suburban shopping malls. So you had to have a car, the ability to travel to get the diagnosis. Persons who lived in areas where they did not have access to a car used public transportation, then were not diagnosed early, but showed up later in their disease process to the hospitalization. Secondly, there's a real historical mistrust in the black community about orthodox medicine. It's not because the patients are ill-deformed. Blacks have been treated poorly both in clinical research and in conventional medicine by the healthcare delivery system. We need to overcome that. And one of the big steps will be to make sure that we have equity in how people are diagnosed and treated for COVID-19.
1: When you talk about testing right now, there seems to be such a, how shall I put it? Some tests are regular and they tell you, yes, you have it. And then the next day they say, well, no, you don't. I mean, how accurate is testing right
2: now? Testing in general does vary in terms of its accuracy, but I think the biggest problem is that once you get a test, it takes so much time in some instances to get the report, and then persons at that time are not able to contact trace. In other words, who were you next to? Who did you bump into? Who did you go to dinner with? And then isolate. So it's not just the testing. It's contact tracing and isolation. And that piece of the puzzle where it all puts together is often missing in how we test in the United States.
1: So remind our listeners, what are some of the things that we must do to prevent the spread of COVID-19? Well, you know, it's the same things
3: we've been talking about since the very beginning. Put on your mask, wear a mask anytime that you're in contact and close to other human beings distancing, making sure that you're staying a safe distance, six feet or more away from others if you are in contact with people and wash your hands repeatedly and often. Anytime you're touching anything, uh, just wash your hands. So mask, social distancing, wearing, washing your hands and being very careful about congregating and being in settings with numbers of, many numbers of people, which unfortunately during this holiday period means you know, limiting the amount of family that you gather with so that you can continue to make sure that you're staying safe as well as keeping
2: others safe around you. I'd like to add that although vaccination or immunization may be beneficial, for the bulk of people it's not going to be available for months. And we're not gonna reach the percentage of the population that will have what's called herd immunity where the virus goes away. So there's no magic bullet, there's no panacea, which means cure all for this particular condition. And what Dr. Gill just described, those public health mitigation approaches are going to remain important for months. So those who are saying, hallelujah, we have a vaccine available or two or three, now I can go forth and multiply and just have good fun. It's not gonna work like that.
3: And I would also add, at least for sure, for the Pfizer vaccine and possibly for the Moderna, we don't know if it protects against infection. We know that it protects against getting the symptoms associated with the coronavirus, but we don't know if it protects yet from infection itself. So I think it's another important thing for people to remember that this vaccine was developed in a way that showed whether it was effective against disease. And so we will need to have further information to know how much it protects people from continuing to have virus that they could shed and pass on to others.
0: I was just going to ask Dr. Ferdinand, because as a cardiologist, when I'm in with my patients, they all have to keep on their masks. And I just find sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes patients pull it down and they think they can't talk well. And sometimes it drops below their nose. I have to constantly remind them, please pull up your mask. It's for both of our protection. How do you find this interaction in your own consultation room?
2: It does impair the doctor-patient relationship somewhat. But I think most people are now accepting of the need to wear a mask, socially distance, wash your hands. And in fact, in order to enter into the clinic or the hospital setting, you have your temperature checked. And if you don't have a mask, they give them one. I'm also doing a lot of telemedicine or telehealth. And I ask my patients to get a blood pressure cuff that's been validated, get a scale, learn how to take your temperature. And we start those vital signs. Most of the patients know their medicines, my patients do. And if they don't, I'll go through each medication, what's the indication, what's the contraindication, what it's for. Many patients are willing to go to an outpatient lab and get their blood drawn. They won't necessarily come into the clinic or the hospital, they're kind of fearful of that. And in those labs, you can get electronically those results and discuss that with the patient. And some of my best patients really are able to help me with the physical examination. They know how to check for pulses, edema, jugular venous distension. They can show me the signs, the finger-to-thumb apposition, smiling, show me if they have any signs of neurologic deficits. So there's a lot we can do now with telemedicine. Nothing beats laying of hands. But in this particular situation, I think it's important even in the clinical setting to wear your mask and keep socially disting as much as you can. But you know, there's a problem for many
1: of those essential workers, if you've been watching what's going on at television, that there are people still having large parties and those essential workers are basically told, you know, you're not, I know you want to wear a mask, but I would prefer you don't. And it becomes a a case of them losing the ability to support their families right now at a time this pandemic is going on. What is the other way they can protect themselves, particularly if they know someone in that room and you know it's the case, has COVID? I know it's a, what a, a conundrum question, but a lot of essential workers are having being put in that
2: position. It's a real problem. It's going to be hard to mandate good social measures. We have to have our politicians and our leaders educate our population why it's important to do these things. It's not because anyone's trying to, quote, take your freedom. It's because we do want to protect people. There are two examples that I'll give that happened last week during my virtual visits. One was a 95-year-old lady who lives in Mississippi. She became ill. She's not my patient. The grandson is. And he told me that his grandmother was now ill. They made a diagnosis of COVID-19, but they could not admit her because the local hospital was full. That's not only happening in Mississippi, it's being seen in other regions. The other thing that happened was I had a 68 year old black female who was at home, ill with COVID. She had her own pulse oximeter. She knew how to check her temperature. She didn't need to be in the hospital thus far. And when I asked her, how did she get it? Most patients can't tell you how they contacted the coronavirus, but she was clear. It was my, it was my son-in-law and my daughter who drove in from Dallas. They brought it to me. When I said to her, well, how do you know that? She says, cause they're back in Dallas now and they're very sick with COVID-19 and I was fine before they came. That was during Thanksgiving. So if we can tell people these type of stories and get them to be more sensitive or how we are hurting our loved ones when we don't, loved ones when we don't do the right thing. Even if you're young and healthy, if you go to a bar, you go to a party, you bring it home to your uncle, your aunt, your grandmother, your mother, your father, you're not doing something that's good for the public.
3: And I think it makes the point that, you know, the challenge with family gatherings is that you have to take off your mask to eat and drink. And, you know, many people will adhere to mask wearing, social distancing, and all of these other measures when they're with strangers, but they relax that when they're with families. You know, we all want families to be together for the holidays, but, you know, if it means missing one holiday, so that you're there to be able to celebrate the next one. I think it's worth it. And I think we have to get that message out to people that you know the holiday season can be the most dangerous time because that's when we feel like we can relax those measures and we eat and drink and we don't have our mask on.
1: Well, that brings up the question of when you eat out. I recently went to a restaurant and I had my mask and I ate outside but inside I noticed that the wait staff, some had on masks wearing them below their nose, others didn't have gloves on. What is the best advice when you're at a restaurant?
3: Well, the the best advice is to not go to a restaurant, especially a restaurant where you're going to be eating indoors. You know, If you can eat outdoors where air is circulating and the risk is much lower, that's one thing. But I think eating in, in restaurants indoor is just dangerous. I would I tell people to to just forego it for you know again uh, we're thinking about you know making these sacrifices this year that will allow us to have continue with our full and healthy lives after this small sacrifice but an important one to be able to save
2: lives. Are both of you going to get the vaccine? I'm certainly not opposed to the vaccine and we'll get it as indicated. I do see patients, I am in a clinical setting, and unfortunately, in hospitals, we tend to bump into each other. For instance, I'm a cardiologist, I read nuclear tests, we sit in a little room, hunched over a computer next to the fellows in the clinic, as Dr. has already said. You're actually very close to patients, and then if you're in the wards, you really are exposed. So yes, I'll get the vaccine, and I recommend that to my patients. The data on the safety and efficacy, how they work and that they they take you to a good place is now on the public data. You can go to CDC.gov. You can look at what Moderna and what Pfizer have shown thus far. And it's no worse than placebo. You'll get muscle aches, some people get a little fatigue, what we call reactogenic reactions, but there's no data that is better to get COVID-19 than to get the vaccine.
3: I will definitely get it when it's my turn. I'm not seeing patients. And so, you know, I'm further down the line and knock on wood, I'm, I, I'm healthy and don't have any pre, pre uh, underlying preconditions. And so, you know, I'll be further down the line, but I will definitely get the vaccine. And as you uh, mentioned, you know, I was part of writing the national guidelines for the national academies that was the foundation for what the CDC recommendations um, are today. And so, you know, I feel very strongly about people taking their place in line appropriately, but definitely um, taking this vaccine when it's your turn.
0: So, Dr. Ferdinand, as a um, cardiologist, I know the questions often come up. And even as we're talking about vaccines, the issue is why are patients with heart conditions more susceptible? And then how does this shape our communication around vaccination, including the flu, as well as COVID-19, once it becomes available?
2: Well, first of all, our Healthy Heart Community Prevention Project in New Orleans, as you know, for years, we've done blood pressure, cholesterol, diabetes screening. I give lectures at churches, senior citizen centers, et cetera. I have now moved over to not just thinking about heart disease, but talking about vaccination, including for influenza and COVID-19. Why is that? Patients who have heart disease, obesity, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, sickle cell disease are at more risk for hospitalization and dying from COVID-19. And Dr. Gale has already said that that may be one of the reasons you see higher death rates and hospitalization in the black cohort because what we call co-morbid conditions. These are things that you have when you get the coronavirus make you more sick and make you more likely to die. Those comorbid conditions are higher in African-Americans. So yes, as a cardiologist, I'm very interested in having my patients receive vaccination and to do all the public health measures that Dr. Gale has already detailed.
0: That's great. And then what happens in terms of the ongoing cardiovascular complications from COVID
2: itself? Well, we know there's a study out of Europe that looked at magnetic resonance imaging and showed about half of the patients who recovered from COVID and didn't even know they had it, had some signs of inflammation in the heart. It can directly affect the heart because of the stress of losing oxygen. You can get a heart attack and we know that it can inflame the blood vessels. So young, healthy people even can have strokes with COVID-19. So cardiologists more and more are now recognizing the need in our patients to ensure that they do the public health measures and when vaccination is available, it's going to be those patients who are 65 years old and have those other what we call comorbid conditions, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, obesity, chronic kidney disease, more common in African-Americans. Those are the patients who need to have the vaccination.
0: Can you guys also speak to some treatments uh, beyond the vaccines, common treatments, for example, you know, there's a lot of misinformation around hydroxychloroquine. What about antibiotics? Do they work? And what's the role of remdesivir, the antiviral? Can you share some of your thoughts, both of you? So,
3: you know, first of all, best thing is always to listen to the experts. Don't get your information from social media unless it's from an authorized uh, expert. And I think if you stick to that, you'll stick to the things that we know Uh, make a difference where there have been trials that have demonstrated their efficacy. Hydroxychloroquine for a short period of time was thought to potentially have some impact. That's now been shown that that's not the case and there is no therapeutic impact. This is a virus, so antibiotics don't work for a virus. Antibiotics work for bacteria, so taking antibiotics will not work the treatments like convalescent plasma or rendesivir are being used steroid treatment you know are being used and you know there's still information being collected about them so there's still refinement being done in terms of treatment but you know i guess the bottom line is stick to the experts stick to websites that that have you know clear validation and well known expertise and don't get your information about this from unauthorized uh, social media.
2: Most of the treatments are going to be seen in patients who need to be hospitalized. The monoclonal antibodies, where they actually are able to make the antibodies against the coronavirus, may be beneficial if you can get to it early. But the most important message from a public health point of view, and it sounds boring, but it really is the most important message is wear your mask, socially distance, wash your hands, grandma will see you next year. In fact, from the the few isolated cases I've had in my own practice, the older patients are not the ones clamoring for the young people to come visit. They wanted to stay home. In fact, the example I gave you with the family who came in from Dallas, she said, I told them not to come and they came anyway. She was somewhat bitter that now she was ill because they felt the need to visit for Thanksgiving. Those things are boring. They're repetitive. I've heard it before, but they're the most important things we can do to control this pandemic. So what are the symptoms of COVID? Well, early on, many people have no symptoms. In fact, we now know that before you have symptoms or before symptoms are manifested, because they may happen later, you can still transmit the virus. Once you develop loss of taste, loss of smell, fever, cough, chest discomfort, then you're at a high index for COVID-19. And many of us who work in the hospital or clinical setting, we get a text every morning and they ask you those same boring questions because they don't want people to come to work sick. If you're not in a hospital setting or you don't work in a clinic and you have loss of taste, loss of smell, fever, chest tightness, shortness of breath, then you shouldn't go to work wherever it be. Even if you're a so-called essential worker, what you need to do is get appropriate testing. And if positive, then contact trace, meaning say where you've been, who you've touched, and then isolate.
0: That's great. So let's uh, wrap it up with having some just uh, discussion around the vaccine. I know you, both of you have said you'll certainly take it. So the two vaccines we currently have, the Pfizer as well as the uh, Moderna, what are some of the efficacies around that? And uh, are there some concerns that you see right now, especially regarding vaccine hesitancy and how do we overcome that?
3: Yeah, so the really exciting thing about both of these vaccines is that they have demonstrated an efficacy of greater than 90%, closer to about 95%. You know, going into this, we were saying we would be happy if it was at least 50%, and maybe 70% would be an optimistic projection. And so the fact that it's 90 plus, close to 95% for both of them in terms of their effectiveness in reducing your likelihood of getting the disease, and that it has shown to be very safe for almost 70,000 plus people who have been part of these trials. Now, that's still something that people are looking at, whether or not it would be a good thing, even if you have had covid to still go ahead and get the the vaccine. But this right now is primarily you know most people have not had it and so so far, you know, it's rolling out in healthcare particularly healthcare workers and nursing homes continue to roll out in de- in additional groups and you know those are people who've largely not been infected. The hesitancy issue is a big issue and you know we know that the polls particularly before there was an actual vaccine, the polls showed that a large swath of American population was not willing to. Now that there is a vaccine and it's been proven to be so uh, efficacious or effective and have uh, a good safety profile, more and more Americans are saying that they'll be willing to take it. But still troubling, the most recent polls say that only 42% of African-Americans say that they're willing to take it. So I think we have a, a really an important role to play as African-American physicians, caretakers, influencers, to be able to provide the information about the, the vaccine, the safety, the efficaciousness. Because I believe when people presented the right information, will make the right choices about what's right for themselves and for their families and for their community.
1: Well, I only have one thing to add. Wash that mask if it's a washable one. (laughs) I see people walking around with masks that look like they've worn them for weeks. Thank you both so much for being with us. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your local medical authority or healthcare provider for health advice. We're grateful to the Association of Black Cardiologists and the National Minority Quality Forum for unrestricted educational grant to support this episode on COVID-19. Please visit abcardio.org and nmqf.org for more information about how both organizations are leading the efforts on COVID-19.
0: This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. Consult your healthcare provider for health advice. Hearts on the Line is a production of AccuHealth Technologies and Health360X, a discovery platform at the intersection of healthcare and wellness. Health 360X coaching support has improved diabetes and heart disease risk in hundreds of patients. Join the conversation at heartsontheline.com. Send your questions and comments to info at heartsontheline.com. For your privacy and protection, please do not send any confidential information.